um, see a lot of really familiar faces in this crowd, and then some that aren't so familiar. So I'm going to take a couple minutes to give you a little background of who I am and um, maybe why I might have some insight on our kids today. So I work for Young Life. Uh, it's I've been working with Young Life for 23 years, so literally half of my life I have spent serving students through this mission. If you don't know anything about Young Life, we're about two things. We're about Christ and we're about kids. And just like your regular youth groups that you have at a church, we have weekly activities, but at the core of who we are, we want to go where kids are. We want to show up in their turf and be in their world. We want to be with kids wherever um, we can. Now, I have worked with both high school and middle school students. Um, I currently run our outreach to middle school students, appropriately called Wildlife. You've all had middle schoolers. You know they're kind of squirrely, right? So that's why it's called Wildlife. And I've worked with kids in Arizona, Illinois, and California. And the truth is, it is not the same as when I started. It is very, very different. Kids 23 years ago are very different than they are today. They're dealing with much different things. Um, during my work with Young Life, I've had the privilege of getting to sit at the feet of some incredibly smart people um, who have poured into me and trained me. I do want to acknowledge today uh, my friend Tanita Maddox. She is uh, Dr. Tanita Maddox, let me rephrase. She got her doctorate in Gen Z. Like crazy amounts of information and crazy amounts of study with this generation. And so some of what I'm going to be using today is from her. I'm also a mom and a wife. Um, Dan and I have been married for 20 years. We are a Young Life love story. We met at a Young Life training, got married. We both do Young Life still to this day. We've done ministry alongside of each other in a lot of different capacities. He currently oversees our ministry to students with disabilities. And um, again, like I said, I do wildlife. And then I'm a mom to two Geneva High School students. Jackson is 16 and a junior, and Peyton is 14 and she is a freshman. Now, being both working with Young Life as well as being a mom, I am not going to stand up here today and tell you I have it all together. I struggle just as much as the rest of you, even though I understand kids maybe a little bit different than some of you. Um, being a mom is the greatest thing I have ever done, and it is absolutely the hardest thing that I have ever done. And I think you guys can probably all relate to that. I've worked in youth ministry the entirety of my kids' lives, the whole time they've been alive. And this faith that I tell other people's kids about almost weekly, they have rejected, they have doubted, and questioned at times. And that's okay, we keep going forward. My kids also have really struggled. Um, they have battled with mental illness, uh, learning disabilities, and this last year, with both of my kids have struggled with suicidal ideation, which has led us to doctors, and psychiatrists, and counseling, and medications. It's a lot. So both in my vocation and my own home, I've experienced how much our kids are struggling and how desperate they are for us to understand them. I hope today that I you guys walk away and I'm giving you a few tidbits of ways that you can show up in your kids' lives and love them well. And I'm going to be honest, some of the information that I share today might be a little bit overwhelming, but that's part of being a mom, right? Life can be pretty overwhelming at times. Um, I'm going to use very broad brushstrokes when I'm talking about a very large portion of our population. And I do want to acknowledge that there are some nuances in all of our lives, like our, our kids' family upbringing and uh, their social media exposure. Those are just a couple of things. So this might not be exactly your kid, 
but it's the world that they live in. And so I think it's super important. All right, so you guys are here today to learn about Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Here's the generational breakdown. Guys, a year ago I heard this term Gen Alpha for the first time and I thought, oh my gosh, we don't even have a handle on Gen Z and now we're getting introduced to a new generation, right? It's a little bit overwhelming. This shift kind of happens about every 15 years. Um, now, there are markers for Generation Alpha, but this is not a fully formed generation. This is just what they're starting to call our kids that are 13 and under. These kids were born in about 2010, the same year the iPad came out. So these are our eighth graders and under, okay? So just to give you that perspective. Then we have our Gen Z, our high schoolers and college students. And then some of you in this room are millennials. A high percentage of our millennials are parenting young Gen Z and Gen Alpha kids. And then me, I'm a Gen X. High percentage of us are parenting uh, Gen Z kids. So we live in a world that has really, really high expectations for our kids, okay? So I want to start by asking you guys this question. Um, what messages are our kids receiving from media and older generations about who they are? I want you guys to give me some adjectives that you think our kids are hearing, and then I'm going to tell you what they've told us they, they hear. Give, just shout it out. Successful. Successful, okay. What else? Lazy. Lazy. Entitled. Entitled. Tech savvy. Tech savvy. Distracted. Distracted. Anything else? Entitled. Entitled, yeah. Yeah. They feel it and they know it, guys. They know. Um, this is a word art of some words that our kids have told us that they feel. They're not very positive things. I love that somebody said successful because I think that they really can be. I think that that's very true. But the point in this is that, guys, our kids are feeling this in our world. And if you don't think that they're hearing this negative news, go to your local Facebook page, What's Happening in Geneva, Batavia, St. Charles, when you get home, and just do a search on teens. I'm going to tell you the, far, the negative far outweighs the positive. And granted, some of the things people post about kids online is valid. We want them safe. We, we want them to be better than they are. But this is the messaging that our kids are hearing all the time. They're hearing that they're lazy and fragile and irresponsible, entitled, incapable. We cannot speak words over a generation and be surprised when they live into them. Okay, so if we believe God's word to be true, what does God say about our kids? Well, first, they are created in his image. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. And they're worth taking seriously. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary was a middle school-aged girl. She was about 12 or 13, and she found favor with God and had this huge monumental task of caring and parenting and mothering Jesus. I can't imagine how hard that is. I think our stuff is hard, but that had to be difficult. He knew everything, right? And they're in need of a savior. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Just like all of us, they are in need of a savior. There's a word in here that really bothers me, that word hinder. And our kids perceive often Christians as hindering them. Sometimes we turn them off from coming to faith, and that's really hard. Friends, we need to be different we need to remember that these are image bearers of the God who created them, period. We might not look like how this generation looks, 
or acts or talks or the things they think about, but they are necessary to create the, heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. I believe these kids are courageous. They have shown up in a world that has been really, really messy the last several years, for sure. I think that they are gifted and entrepreneurial. Uh, the projection over time is that these two generations are gonna put more corporations out of business than any generation before them. And I think that they are mission-driven. They deeply care about the world around them and the people around them. Friends, a couple weeks ago, I had about three hours of information to share with you. We don't have that much time today. So I did the best I could to narrow this down. And I want to acknowledge, I might not hit everything you're hoping I hit today. Um, and so I'm just going to do the best I can with the information that I have. So first of all, um, the psychologists tell us the top question that this generation, these generations are asking is, am I safe? Is it safe? And if it's not, they avoid it. I think safety is not the only thing they value. There's a lot of things they value, and I think it's important for us to understand what they value and the questions that they're asking. Um, they're asking, am I safe? Safety is an important value to them. Acceptance, inclusion, and tolerance, very important to them. And behind that is, will you accept me? Social justice, do all people matter to God? Thank you guys for taking pictures. For real, take pictures so you're not having to write tons of notes. Um, Authenticity, can I trust you? Uh, truth based in freedom, what is truth? There's a ton of things in our world that are helping them define what truth is. And then competition and accomplishments. They're asking, am I enough to be loved and valued? I, my prayer and my hope is that kids, especially in our community, because this is the community I live in, is I want them to wake up every morning knowing that they are seen and known and loved and they have value and they have worth. And so many of them are not waking up feeling like that on a daily basis. So this is the lens um, that they are constantly evaluating everything around them. And so I wanted to start here. The first thing that I think uh, that I want, the topic I want to touch on is that they're digital natives. What does that mean? Well, this right here, smartphones and tablets, it's their native language. It's what they're most comfortable with. This is a rapid marker for Generation Z, but this actually pertains a little bit more to Alpha. Um, these phones are not going away, right? And I, I'm sure you guys have all been to either the middle school or the high school and you've seen a group of kids, they stand, stand around and they're talking to each other and they're doing this because they feel much more comfortable and confident texting the friend next to them than actually having a conversation. You and I, our first language is having conversation. It's like they're second or third, so they struggle with it. Then we have all these other pieces, right? We have YouTube and video games and driverless trains and autonomous cars and speakers that speak back to them. My daughter, I wish I could say she didn't, every single day. Alexa, what's 64 divided by two while she's doing her math? It really happens. Um, this technology has only been developed in their lifetime and it's changing faster than it ever has, faster than any generation. I wanna put this in perspective. Radio took 38 years to reach 50 million users. The television, 13. I And guys, this doesn't even touch how rapidly and quickly TikTok changes what is important and what is valuable in their lives. It's a lot. So they're coming of age in a, the most unprecedented time of change. This has never happened. So they are the most technologically literate generation on the planet. They have never known life 
without endless information at their fingertips. They are making real-time choices. My daughter, last Christmas, sitting in her room, watching YouTube, learning to play the ukulele. At the same time, online with a friend, playing Roblox, talking to her, and also creating her Amazon wish list for what she wanted for Christmas. They have endless amounts of information and access to things at their fingertips at all time. They are likely to be tech creators more than tech consumers. I'm for sure a consumer. Maybe some of you are out there creating content. I don't know. But I think that we have a, there's, there's an op opportunity here for us to invite them in to help us. I will tell you, my 16-year-old son looked through this this morning. He's like, uh, it's kind of a boring presentation, Mom. <laughs> he wanted to have pizzazz and jazz, and he would have loved to have shifted it. But it is what it is. I'm here, and I'm telling you what I've got. So... <laughs> They are part of an unintentional global experiment where screens are placed in front of kids at the same time as pacifiers. I 100% am guilty of this. I cannot tell you the amount of times I handed my kids my phone and I think it was Monkey Preschool Lunchbox was the app that they had when they were really little. And we would go to Costco or the grocery store or I just needed five more minutes alone. It's happening. It's no, we've just kind of grown and adapted to this. And they are really bad at waiting. All of us are, right? Our world has gone to great lengths to put waiting to that. We have virtual waiting rooms for restaurants. We have self-checkouts. You know, I think that um, this idea of cultivating wisdom and seeking out experts, we don't need to do that anymore. We can just ask Google, right? All right, the next topic. I'm going to run through these quick. So they're shaped by technology. Again, these phones, they're not going away. I don't think the answer is removing them. It, that's, it's not going to happen. We've modeled to them using our devices since they were little. They've seen us. They've watched us. I think what we really need to do is to really think about the when. When are we letting them use them? When are we removing them from them? So we can put time limits. We, our phones are really savvy that way. We can do that. Sometimes we have to figure that out, that technology. I let my husband deal with that, not me. Um, they don't need to sleep with them in their rooms, or if they are sleeping with them in their rooms, because they need the alarm, right? That's a great excuse. We have alarm clocks. <laughs> Put it on the other side of the room so they have to physically get out of bed. It's much easier to turn that alarm off when it's right next to you, right? Also, they don't need it to do their homework. Some of them might for an app for a class. But I think probably if any of you have high schoolers or I think later middle school, you've all spent a whole bunch of money on a TI-85 calculator. They do not need their smartphone to do their math homework, period. They're just saying that, right? All right, so they're shaped by technology. Their technology makes them the most globally connected generation ever, which is really kind of crazy. If you have ever been in anything um, here at Chapel Street, we talk about, they talk about global impact a lot. And our kids can have really huge global impact with the information that they're putting out there. But on the flip side, this, this being connected globally, it's no longer comparison to my neighbor across the street or to my friends at school. We're comparing ourselves to the best versions of people that they're putting out there on the internet. That's what our kids are doing. Um, influencer and target marketing are the most successful types of marketing. They follow and listen to people they can look up to and feel like they can relate to. And then there's this fun thing called algorithms we've all experienced that targets their searches and individual tastes. Believe it or not, this actually makes this space, the digital space, feel way more personal. I think an important thing for us as moms is we can ask them, who are you following? Why are you following them? 
And then we should definitely start following those people too because I, it's important for us to know what the messages are that they are receiving. Social platforms and digital culture inform truth. Um, truth is one of their values, right? They're, they're looking for it everywhere and they have a lot of people speaking into what that looks like. Scrolling only stops for something compelling. They say it's nine seconds is what they stop for. That's compelling. I can't even read the words on things online in nine seconds, but our kids, are, they're going through it really, really, really fast. Uh, higher digital literacy is connected to less social formation because we're doing this. I think, when I think about this, I'm like, you guys remember that movie, Wally? That's what I think about. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want that to be our lives, but we're teetering, right? Their values and identity are shaped by social media and cancel culture. They're making real-time decisions based on what's important, uh, based on what's cheered for and reposted. And then on the flip side, when things are put down or criticized, they don't have value. That's what cancel culture is. They can be ridiculed for asking the wrong question in a digital space. So there's no room for error and there's no secrets. No wonder they're looked at as the most uh, anxious and stressed out generation. Finally, they're up aging. This is a word I heard that first time with Generation Alpha. Um, it just means that they're growing up faster they're, you know, than they have before um, at a younger age. I mean, you can even see it physically. If you go into a middle school, I'm like, oh my gosh, these girls look like high school girls sometimes, you know. And the boys too, they just, they're getting bigger and they're more athletic, all of those things. Um, they have more age inappropriate information available to them at younger ages. And that's a huge factor that's contributing to them up aging. The World Health Organization is uh, estimating that children are beginning puberty three months prior, three months earlier, every decade. So while their adolescence is starting younger, it's, it's carrying over into later in their 20s. It used to be early 20s, it's getting into later 20s. That's a very, very long time to be considered an adolescent. All right, we're gonna compare the noise to being a teenager in the 90s, which is what I am, and teenagers today. We had a family landline, maybe a second line in call waiting. We had to implement call waiting after my mom got in a car accident she couldn't get through because I was on the phone for hours as a freshman, right? And then we had music. It was radio, Walkman, Discman, and then I didn't put this one up. I want my MTV. You guys all remember Kurt Loder? Um, conflict happened in person or on the phone. Uh, they got updated on the weekend on Monday morning at school. Embarrassing moments were stories if we chose to tell them. And we would go to sleep after watching TV and maybe we would wake up and listen to the radio. Today, they're reachable at all times. They can stream music and video at all times. Conflict happens in texts, instas, unfollowing, ghosting, and we can see our friends out there in the world having fun without us when we haven't been invited. Every moment can be recorded and shared instantly. The noise never stops. They sleep to noise and they wake to alerts. It's like opening multiple tabs in our brain and never closing the loop. It's a lot. It's a lot. All right. They're less inclined to identify as religious. I don't love this one, but I feel like we have to talk about it. Um, these generations generally view Christians as intolerant, hypocritical, irrelevant, judgmental, and even harmful. They don't see a visible difference, a visible positive difference between Christians and non-Christians. More than one-third of teenagers in early 20s would consider themselves nuns. So what this means is they're agnostic, atheist, or nothing in particular. 
Research suggests that 35% of those raised in Christian homes will continue to follow the faith of their parents. And so what this means is generation by generation, the number of Christians continues to decrease. They are being brought up in a post-Christian worldview, which means there is, this is no longer the dominant religion. They view God as not personal, God as an idea, God as a concept. And for those that are raised in culturally um, churched areas, biblical literacy is at its lowest point in history. But I'm going to start giving you some positives here because I know it's a lot. Um, spiritual curiosity is alive. They're very curious. They have lots of questions, and they're seeking truth and purpose. Um, and they're finding them in not great spaces. We need to engage this generation with clarity, conviction, and Christ-centered community. Guys, I want to encourage you even beyond just the, th- the space of faith, we need to let them wrestle with their questions. We need to not swoop in and have all of the answers. Normalize saying, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Because we don't want to just turn to Google when it comes especially to faith. I think that a, a faith that is wrestled with is a faith that is owned. When they leave our homes, we want them to own it. We don't want it to be our faith. We want it to be a faith that they've owned. All right, I know that we all know that they've been impacted by the pandemic. These three markers that I'm going to give for them being impacted by the pandemic, I think they would have happened anyway. I think that it was just compounded and happened much quicker because of the pandemic. So first is physical presence. The pandemic has radically changed educational and social experiences. It took them a little bit, but they can do school at home online, right? Has a little bit of shaky ground. I know in my house I was pretty miserable for a few months there. And I don't know that our kids are ever going to have a snow day again. I just don't think it's going to happen. Lack of in-person routine and pace, scented social and emotional development. I think you can ask any teacher. They're all kind of playing catch up. I took kids to camp, uh, our typical summer camp in summer of 2021. I took middle schoolers. This is something I've done for over 20 years. It was one of the most awkward things ever, watching these kids try to flirt with each other and try to engage with each other. They were almost robotic, and it was like, this is painful. Um, and then the stay-at-home culture developed from the pandemic. They, some kids loved being at home, some kids didn't. My son still, I'm still battling with him to get him to get out of my house and go be with people in public. He would much rather sit behind his computer on Discord playing with his friends online. Maybe you're experiencing that too. All right, mental health concerns climbed during the pandemic. Across the world, rates of depression and anxiety rose by more than 25%. 3 million adolescents, 12 to 17, have had a major depressive disorder in the last year, or just episode, I should say, not disorder, episode. Um, I do want to acknowledge that this changing mental health definitely was already on an upswing starting around 2012, um, and this actually links to the access of technology. Now granted, this is, a, this is a graph from 2020 and it stops at 2018, and so we already were on this trajectory and it just compounded it in huge ways. And this, this upsurge cuts across all demographics. It's suburban, urban, and rural. Every, every demographic is experiencing this. Give me one more minute to take a picture, and then I'm going to move on. Um, did, did you get it? Here, I'll go back. If I can get it. There we go. All right, I'm going to keep going while she's taking that. Um, 30% of Gen Zers, a higher rate than any previous generation, uh, are, are reported working with mental health professionals, which is great. I think that they're, they're seeking help. They're saying, I need help. 
And then 68% of Gen Z feel overwhelmed by everything they need to do each week. I think often as moms we go, what do you have to do? You just have to go to school. Well, they're maintaining a social media presence. They're trying to get into colleges. They're, just, they're, they're, they're working, they're going to school, all the things. And we can't say, we totally understand because the world is very different for a teenager now than it was when we were kids. 46% of adults reported feeling alone during the pandemic and it was 69% among Gen Z. And then teen suicide is up 35% in the last five years. As these numbers are staggering and it's overwhelming to me. Chronic stress. They face chronic stress from many factors, including school shootings, a rapidly changing social landscape, what the future holds, and even politics. This is not stuff we were dealing with. Growing up in a hyper-connected world can evoke intense feelings of isolation and loneliness in some. And this is fueled by a steady drumbeat of negative information. They have a fear about whether they have a phone or even when they don't have a phone, whether they're on social media or whether they're not. And then they have the shame in falling short of a social media worthy standard. What am I going to post? What pictures? What am, what's going to be my, my caption in the bottom of my photo? It, it stresses them out. I think the question is not, shouldn't be, why is this generation so anxious, but how are they still standing? I think that we need to be amazed at their courage and strength. Okay, I'm done with the negative. I want everybody to take a deep breath. Because I know the first time I went through this, I was like, Sorry, I shouldn't say that, but it is. It's the truth. Okay, so what do we do with all of this, right? My good friend Crystal Curgis works for Young Life, and she lent this phrase to me, and I want to lend it to you. Um, it's with is the way. Developmentally, our kids need you walking with them, showing them how, teaching them why, and loving them in the when. With is the way. If you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to cling to that, and you're going to hold on to it. Your husbands will love it. <laughs> And they want mentors walking with them in the middle of all of, of all of it. They want us to talk with them, sit, pray, cry, grieve, experience, grow, learn, serve, and worship with them. Now notice I'm saying for us to show up, not with answers, not with telling them what to do. We just need to be with them. I 100% believe that our physical presence is one of the best gifts that we can give people. It's super powerful, and it cuts through culture, and it meets our kids in the middle of development. All right, so what do they need from us? The biggest thing that they ask for is to listen to them, to actually listen. The question I hear a lot, or, or the statement I hear a lot from kids is, I just wish adults would listen to me. And behind that, they're asking, will you, will you listen to me? I think we can take um, an example from Jesus here, and I'm going to use the example of... Um, Jesus, he's in Mark 5, he's on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus has asked for his help. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. Jesus is on his way to something important. And there's this woman, and she's been bleeding, so she's been hurting for 12 years. And she thinks, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And she does, and she's healed. The miracles happened, and Jesus could keep going, right? But he doesn't. He stops, and he looks for her. Who touched me? Who touched me is what he's saying. And it says that she told him the whole truth. In some versions, it says she told him her whole story. Guys, in, both, in this setting, Jesus was not walking and talking. He wasn't like, come on, let's go to Jairus' house. He stayed right there. And I think that's an example for us. We need to stop what we are doing when our kids start to talk with us, and we need to engage. There is nothing more important. And I wish I could say, do it because I am. I, I don't do a great job of this at times. Um, but we need to be able to listen to them to see them. 
a lot of parents will say to me, Beth, I hear, I hear you saying we need to listen to them. They're saying a lot of words, but they're not making a lot of sense. I don't totally understand them. We need to listen in some different ways. One thing I'm going to ask, how many of you guys have sent a meme or a video to a friend in the last week? Only a handful of you. Oh, wow. I thought there would be more of you. Okay, we all do it. We, well, I think our kids do it more than us. Okay. I absolutely did. I probably sent like seven yesterday, okay? <laughs> um, our kids are posting things online, and we need to pay attention to those things. I'm going to post, I'm going to show you. This is a friend of mine posted this. She's a middle school girl, had it all together. Great grades, great family. I would have never thought there was something going on this. She posted early on in the pandemic. When she posted this, she had never discussed that she was struggling with her mental health. She never ever said to me, and I was in contact with kids a lot during the pandemic, the very beginning. She was never saying, she never said, I feel like I'm drowning. I don't know what I'm going to do. But she posted this online, so we need to pay attention to these type of things. Remember, this is where they are most comfortable communicating often. They'll post things that strike a chord in their heart. They'll post things that maybe they say are for their friends. And I think that for us, it's important for them to say here and there, ask them, hey, send me a meme telling me how you feel or a video. What's the last thing that made you laugh? Will you send it to me? Share it with me? What's the last meme or video that you saw that made you think? And then try to engage with them about it. Be curious about that. The other thing about actively listening, our kids are not going to come home from school and have this conversation like they did in elementary school where you can say, how was your day, honey? And they, re- they rattle off every single thing that happened at recess and who played with who and all of those things. It's not going to happen. They need to decompress. I think that the time that our kids' brains activates is at night. It's like they've let go of all the stress of the day and they're starting to move on. I don't know, I, I find this interesting, but I think about when I would put my kids to bed when they were little, and it was like, Mom, I need to pee. Mom, I need another story. Mom, can I have a hug? I need a drink of water. It was like they wanted to stay awake. And I don't know if it's carryover, I don't know if there's correlation, but I think that there's something there. When our kids come to us when we are tired and it is time for us to go to bed, I am not good at this always. Stay up. It's worth your time. Stay up and listen. Ask them open-ended questions, not yes and no. Invite them in. Let them just sit and be silly with you and talk with you. There's other spaces where conversations happen, right? It can be in the car or it can be um, when we're playing a game with them. I had a friend last week that told me that she waits for, there's these times in her life um, where they just kind of linger in the room a little bit longer. Those are the times we want to put our phone down. We want to put our dinner aside. I know we have a lot of things to do. We have jobs. We have lots of things that are going on in our world, but we need to set those things aside. Um, You can ask open-ended questions like, tell me what it's like. What do you wish older generations knew about being a sophomore? Let them tell you and listen. Because when we start asking questions like that, they'll start to talk. Um, The other thing I want to say is when they start to talk, this is not the time to fix. This is not the time to guide. This is not the time to direct. This is the time to listen. You can circle back later. And then the next day, follow up with a text saying something like, hey, I know I'm not you and I don't fully understand, but I'm here to listen. I believe in you. Just something simple. All right, there's a Barna study. They do lots of studies that came out that said 73% of Gen Z agree that they want to be a generation with this. 75% say they don't fully understand, that the older generations won't fully understand what um, the pressures that they're under. So we have three-fourths of our kids that are feeling stuck. They want to tell us, but they're so afraid that when they do, we're not going to understand. If I just tell you how I'm feeling, you're not going to understand when we feel worse. So they stay quiet, and we don't want that to happen. Um, a lot of times I say to my leaders and to my, um, 
the parents that I'm around. Three words that I say, I say this a lot for our middle schoolers, I'm gonna say it now. Normalize, validate, be steady. Everyone is going through this. Validate what they're feeling. It's, it's hard and be steady. This is not time for your ego or your emotions to get involved. You just need to be there. Second, offer compassion and encouragement. Again, I'm going to go back to this Jesus example. Often he encounters crowds. He had compassion on them. He looked at them. He loved them. Those are the things we're told. Um, in the same example that I gave you with the hemorrhaging woman, after she told her whole story, he says one word to her. He says, daughter. And in that word, he conveys you are important, you are valuable, you are loved, you are seen. This is how we need to interact with our kids. I'm going to give you a confession here, and this is really hard to say, but I am not great at compassion and encouragement. Um, I do not trust my kids to do things a lot. We as moms start to do this nagging thing when they're little, and it's really hard to break ourselves of the habit. I don't think that there has been a day probably in the last four years that I haven't said to my son, I did it this morning, teeth hair deodorant before he left. <laughs> he should probably learn at this point that he needs to do those things, but I still have to ask. It, we as moms often nag our kids and we want to pick them apart and we want to fix them and we want to make them look presentable to the world and we want them to have it all together, and they don't. We need to let them be where they are. There was a, a guy that I follow on Instagram, and he said, we can't treat our kids like bonsai trees, where we snip and snip and snip and snip and create them in who, to who we want them to be. We need to let them grow. We need to cultivate the character. We need to cre- help them be, live into who God has created them to be. Okay, so instead of when they haven't done that X, Y, Z that they said they were going to do, don't text them about it, here's what I would say. Sent him a text and said, I, I started doing this a few weeks ago, and I'm definitely noticing some difference in my kids. Hey, I've been thinking about you today. I know being a teenager is really, really hard. I'm really proud of you. I know you've got this. Or my daughter, her love language is Starbucks. Thinking about you, how about a Starbucks trip after school? You've been working really, really hard. All right, next, mentoring. I 100% believe God knew what he was doing when he made you the mom to the kids that you have in your care. You are exactly who they need. You are not all that they need, especially as they get older. They are not listening to our voices nearly as much as they are other people in their lives. So who are the people in their world, who are the adults in their lives um, that, that encourage them, that help them to be who God created them to be? Who are the people that um, love them, that show up in their lives? Guys, Chapel Street offers some great student ministry options. Most churches do. There's things like Young Life and Wildlife. There's also FCA, I think, at every single one of our schools, some form or version of it. Utilize them. Encourage your kids to go to them. And those spaces might not be where your kid fits. So if that's the truth, then there's probably teachers and coaches in their lives. We cannot have enough people pouring into our kids and helping them grow into who God's created them to be. All right, I've given you a lot of information. I'm going to give you a couple takeaway tips. Take a picture of this. Here's some questions to ask your kids in the next week. Do not ask them all of these questions in one day. They're going to be like, gosh, mom, too much. The first one, when you ask them how well they think you listen to them, don't tell them why. Don't justify. Just hear them. Okay? I'll give you another second to do that. Uh, The next slide I'm going to show is um, some things that I'm following on social media, or um, I'll come back to these if you guys didn't get it. The first two um, are Christian organizations, they're super helpful for parents. I get an email from them uh, about every couple weeks. The, the third one there is Grown and Flown, super helpful with navigating high school and college for our kids. Instagram, Ian Simpkins, 
this has nothing to do with parenting, but my gosh, sometimes I just need a little encouragement for my soul. And it's so great that it's like little mini sermons. And then coaching with Will, guys, if you don't hear anything else, follow him today. He's so great. Um, he is, it's not faith-based, but he knows kids. He understands this culture, and it's super encouraging information for our kids. All right. I know there's a lot of things that you probably hoped to get out of today, and maybe I didn't hit them all. Um, so here's my contact information. I'm going to tell you, there's a bunch of you in this room and one of me, and I work, and I'm a mom, and I have lots going on in my life. If you have questions, I'm going to be here after, um, or you can email me. I would love to chat with you. Um, one of my favorite things to do is sit across from moms of kids because I understand what you're going through. So um, I'm going to pray, and then I've got some discussion questions. I'm sorry I've gone over a little Christelle, but uh, let me pray for you guys because I think it's important. Jesus, thank you so much for these moms. Thank you for the kids that they represent. Thank you for each and every child um, that these moms have gotten to be parents to. Lord, would you just guide these mamas? Give them a heart to understand their kids, Lord. Um, Give them space and opportunity to hear from their children. Lord, would you just help us go out from here and be better moms? Would you help us go out from here and love and encourage and be with our kids in the ways that you desire? Thank you so much for this day and this time together. Amen. All right, I'm going to put up some discussion questions, and I think Christelle would like you guys to talk around your tables. All right, I just want to see, let's, let's give it up for Beth. Such great takeaways and good reminders for all of us, especially, I feel like, coming off of the summer, I feel like um, I'm kind of taking a break from some of those good parenting ideas. It's a long summer, so here we are back in the routine of things, and I, I think this is a great timing for all of us to start implementing some really good ideas. Um, you guys take some time to visit, um, meet new girls. There's tons of food left. There's lots of sandwiches, so if, if you want more, please help yourself. Take one to go. Um, and also, I wanted to say, you guys, it's Crystal's birthday. Aww. Yeah, so happy birthday. I'm not going to make everyone sing to you, but I mean, that's just awkward, but... Um, we didn't acknowledge it yet today, so so we wanted to wish her happy birthday. And um, so just go ahead and discuss and um, stay as long as you like, or if you need to head out, that's fine too. So thanks, you guys, for being here.